Testing, testing, one, two, three. Testing. Hello. Hi, everyone. It's Anissa here with Epic Lifestyles, and we are at the Summit Hotel in Whistler, and I'm here with Paul Liu. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul. <laughs> uh, I work at the Whistler Core, and I met him there. He's one of our... Uh, guests that's in all the time and he was on his way out the door to go on a trip and he told me a little bit more about what he does so I invited him to be here on Epic Lifestyles. So one of the things we do, well what we do on this podcast is invite people on who are doing things that are extraordinary and a little bit out of the normal of the everyday life. Maybe it's an interest, maybe it's a career as in Paul's case or something that people are putting in that extra effort and doing something that isn't easy. So in Paul's case, I would say you have an extraordinary pathway to a career that most people haven't heard of um, and didn't know existed. So do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got to Whistler? That might be the first thing. So yeah, I am here on a gap semester between, so I just finished my bachelor's at the University of Pennsylvania in uh, mathematics and computer science and decided, well, I love skiing, and Whistler's a wonderful place, I've heard. I've never been here before until now. And then signed up for an 11-week ski instructor course, and yeah, that's how I got to Whistler. Sweet. Loving it. Yeah, and where did you come from then? <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what, how did Whistler get on your radar from where you were at? Like, where were you at, and how did... Um, yeah, so I guess I, I've been in Philadelphia for the past four years for university, and... Uh, before that, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, so nice. I'm a Californian kid. Love the warm, <laughs> warm sun. Coast, Still West Coast. Still yeah. West Coast. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I grew up skiing in Lake Tahoe. Parents would always take me to like on the weekends. So my dad would drive Friday evening. We'd get there maybe midnight, and oh, we'd amazing. ski Saturday, Sunday, and then go home, and then go back wow. to school. That's how I discovered Whistler. So oh. I used to bring my kids <laughs> up. I'd be like, pack the car. We'd come up at sometimes three in the morning, so there was no traffic, and then they'd get to go into ski school on Saturday. It's really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, you talk into it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So. Taking a break from everything and kind of disconnecting, and I, so I guess I picked Whistler by chance, I guess, okay. just on a whim was my gut feeling. I wanted to go. Cool. And tell us a little bit about your direction as far as school, because it's pretty unusual, I think. Yeah. So my my career path is uh, I'm in I'm looking to be a cryptographer. Um, so I've been doing cryptography research for the past two years with Nadia Henninger at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and I guess maybe I should talk about what cryptography is. Yeah, well, I mean, when I first asked you what you did, you said, do you remember the movie? And I can't remember what it was, but it was... Uh, yeah, you, the, Im- you... the Imitation Game. There we go. And I was like, that's one of my favorite movies. So <laughs> it makes I should go watch it again. Uh-huh. But tell us more about how you got into that. Yeah, so I knew there's a couple things that I found really interesting. So, for example, I thought game theory was really interesting. So if you ever watched the Beautiful Mind, A Beautiful Mind with John Nash in it and you've learned about Nash equilibria and like the prisoner's dilemma where it's like, well, um, everyone wants to tell the truth but they can't tell the truth uh, or else they'll get like some kind of less of a reward uh, in relative to kind of the punishment. But um, there's Ooh, a... you know, I need to go back and look at that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's come a... up lately. <laughs> there, there's a lot there. Um, and then one other thing I thought was really cool is like, hacker societies um, and I always thought it was really interesting where you have like the internet then you have the dark net and mm-hmm. you have all these layers of the internet and mm-hmm. it's really interesting to think about well 
um, the digital world is kind of like an extension of my real world now. So yeah. let's say I live in my home. I have a sense of privacy that my stuff is my stuff and no one's going to come in and peek on me as I'm showering or... <laughs> or seeing, touch your things. Yeah, touch my things and yeah. stuff like that. And I feel comfortable there. Right. But who's to say that about the internet where suddenly I, I can kind of carve out what might feel like my space. Mm -hmm. But is it really my space? And right. is it really private? Right. Um, and, well, did you hear about how... Um, because of the Google Home systems, one mm -hmm. of them had been um, requisitioned for court because it might have witnessed a murder. Right. Like, how crazy is yeah. that? Like, and then your, your computer might have witnessed your murder and be, after your death, be called into court. Right. And then you hear all about the Amazon Echo listening to, like, yeah. beatings, perhaps, and that's, calling I think the police, that's probably, like that. yeah, same that's thing. Yeah. yeah, so it, it's really interesting to think about what privacy is, but... Uh, cryptography is uh, kind of started off just as codes and code breaking and making codes. So um, I guess I could do like a quick two-minute yeah. history of it. Yeah. Um, it really started even in th with the ancient Romans. So our, the first cipher that we really consider is called the Caesar cipher because we believe that Julius Caesar might have used it. And the idea is that, well, let's say I want to send, I'm Julius Caesar and I want to send to my general a message, attack tomorrow at morning. Mm -hmm. And of course, if I send a courier with it written on paper or even verbally, um, it could be exposed. It could be exposed, uh, and and so I'd like to make it less exposed. And the way I do that is what we call encryption. Um, and to encrypt it, Julius Caesar thought, well, let's say I have the Roman alphabet. Why don't I shift everything by let's say three characters? Right. So the equivalent in the English alphabet would be A would go to D, mm -hmm. B would go to E, and so forth, and yeah. you would send that, and it'd be real, uh, and a little harder. And I guess that's kind of the code that came from um, the typewriter machines. What are they called? Uh, that During the cold, the, the yeah. First World War or whatever. That the Enigma. Was. Enigma, there we yeah. go, thank and you. That, <laughs> that was the subject of uh, the imitation game, or Alan Turing, yeah. breaking the Enigma. So, I mean, it's the same idea, though, right? You've same changed idea. different things out, but you've created a code that, right. that you can now transform pose on the other side. Yeah. And then the other side, so, so the idea here is now the key, you can think of a key, a lock model, is the key is the number three, mm. because I shifted it by three. So as long as the other side also knows the number three, right. it's easy to right. decrypt it and get back the original message. Oh, that's so exciting. Uh, and, and so in the World War, I think it was World War II with Alan Turing, his job was to really uh, break Enigma. And Enigma was very difficult because the Germans would always change their keys. It's like you changing your password. Yeah. You can always try to hack it, but if the other person keeps changing their keys, it's, it's difficult to hack. Um, but today, modern cryptography has changed a little bit. And I, I like to think of it as m tangible mathematical ma uh, magic. <laughs> Math mathematic is, is uh, magical to most of us. So you can, you can do very cool things in, in uh, cryptography. For example, let's say today, yeah. as of in the past probably five years, um, let's say you have your DNA right. and uh, someone sequenced it for you, yep. um, but uh, you don't want to give away your DNA because you feel that it's part of your identity, Right. but you'd like to know something about your DNA and um, I'm guessing you and I can't really look at ATCGs and just say, well, my chance of getting this particular disease or right. my tendency to like savory or sweet foods right. is, is this. Um, but uh, uh, maybe a company could. Right. But, then you're, but then the question is, well, I don't really want to give away my DNA. Right. It's like giving away my fingerprints, right? right. Uh, but I still really want to know what, what the result is. Right. Essentially, what I, in, in the mathematical phrasing, it's I want to know a function mm -hmm. on my DNA. Um, and 
Today, modern encryption says that we can give you a way where you can encrypt your DNA, send it to them, they'll run the normal type of algorithm or step-by-step -step procedure to figure out what it is on essentially gibberish. Right. It's your encrypted DNA. And they'll send back essentially more gibberish yeah. because they've done it. And you decrypt it and it's actually the result as if you had sent them your actual DNA. Oh, interesting. So it's very, it's very cool. magical in that sense. I, have a, I have a, actually have a, a long uh, uncle, I guess, basically, like a, a man that lived with us when I was a kid, and I spent more time with him than my dad, and he actually found a long lost, a long lost son found him, and it was very clear they were related, oh, right? wow. and it was just crazy. And it was it had to do with that, they did exactly that, that they did right. the, but they, they I guess they weren't that secretive about it, because right. <laughs> they found each other. Right, right. And he's, you know, this is 45 years later. <laughs> so it's crazy. Yeah, so I guess that that's kind of cryptography from a practical standpoint. But you can see why somebody might not want to be found. Right. Right. Or have yeah. that known about them. Right. Or, for example, I was listening to um, someone talk about brain scans of psychopaths mm -hmm. yesterday. So if you were to send in your brain scan and find out that you did have psychopathic tendencies, you might not want that to be public right. knowledge. And um, ironically, the guy um, who was running the research was related to Lizzie Borden and all these crazy people uh, and founder of uh, one of the big universities uh, because of the sea. Can't think of it right now on the East Coast, and he, somebody gave him all of his family scans back and had all the names marked out, and he's like, oh, you guys are joking, you guys are joking, this guy's obviously nuts, we already know from this, and it turns out to be his. <laughs> oh, gosh. So it's so funny that, right. uh, and he is not a psychopath, he's a professor, respected from a very large university, right. but having that, someone having that information could then use it against you, so right. I can see why encrypting your DNA or your scans or things right. like that, your medical history could be really important. Right. And, and one thing um, that's really interesting that was used, uh, they used it for at Boston University just in the past two years is reporting um, sexual assaults. Mm -hmm. So some women don't, don't feel comfortable doing that, mm -hmm. but they want like a verifiable way where they can send in a report um, and not reveal anything about themselves or their own situation. Mm -hmm. But they, they still want the report to be reputable. And, right. and to preserve some of re reputation without giving away who they are. Right. And, and that's something that's been coming out in the past two years. Oh, and they're actually building a platform for that. So wow. it's very fascinating. Because then you're more likely to catch the perpetrator versus worry about the victim. Right. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So, so and I love what you're doing with it as far as, um, from what I understood from your paper, is looking at how much power it takes to compute all of this stuff, which yeah. I don't think any of us really think about. <laughs> yeah. Encryption is expensive. Yeah. Um, takes time and a lot of resources. And now we've made it necessary. Right. In a world where we're trying to be more efficient with power and right. become environmentally you know, right. efficient, uh, we're creating something that's so globally required now. Right. It's so, uh, we need more people like you. Right. Thank you. <laughs> so, on Epic Lifestyles, we always ask the same eight questions. So, we know a lot about what you do, but mm -hmm. what are the three most important things we should know about you, like who you are as a person? Yeah, sure. So, I really like being active. I think that's my play. I, I'm getting into ahead of myself, but that's okay. um, uh, so I, I've been swimming almost, almost every day for like three or four years. I was part of a Seattle swim team, oh, wow. uh, master swim team in the summer. I mean, rock climbing is fun, running is fun. Um, I don't know. It's just like being outdoors. I, th yeah. I think that really energizes me. Gets, well, especially if you're doing yeah. a lot of lab time. Yeah, You absolutely. need that energy. Um, and then I guess another thing is, yeah, um, 
I was born, I, I think where I'm, I was raised had a big influence on like who I am and kind of my perceptions of the world, I guess. So I, I grew up in Palo Alto, kind of in the heart of Silicon Valley. Oh, um, yeah. I didn't know that. And so, I would never guess. Yeah. And it really was like um, a, a bubble, I think. And it really gave me a perspective on, um, I guess, tech as an industry and kind of as a, as a culture. Mm-hmm. And I think it evolved a lot. Um, so, and, you know, I, I've been interested in tech since, uh, I guess, high school and college. But um, I guess, yeah. Do you think because of where it was, tech was more accessible in college like and uh, sorry in high school and college at a younger age versus some of us like that my my kids they didn't really have that much tech available to them or pushed on them but it wasn't required of them they were the trades like the normal trades were pushed on them welding things like that because that's what is needed in the industry right now right whereas where you're from tech is what was needed in the local industry so I, i definitely think it biased my opinion of what I was interested in and everything like that. So, for for example, um, I was very much motivated by my friends and the mm-hmm. peers around me. And when I saw someone do something and be really excited about it, you know, they, when you're excited, you really want to share about it, yeah. and tell everyone about it. And you know, I basically unconscientiously drifted right. towards STEM, uh, like science, technology, yeah. do you engineering, think, math. Just because you've told me a bit about your parents, do you think that if your parents had done other things, you would still? Be where you are, or do you think that what they did for university and a career affected yeah. your direction? Um, I, I think it definitely affected my direction. Like, for example, um, when I grew up, I thought everyone had PhDs. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then little, later did I find out, like, you don't even need to go get a bachelor's. Like You don't even have to go to right. college. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was... Very shocking for me, I guess. Uh, Strange to say, I guess. Right, because both your parents are doctors. Right, and then my grandpa taught math, and my grandma taught math. Like, everyone was kind of STEM. My uncle was a math PhD as well. Oh, interesting. Well, everyone's doing it. And one more thing about you. One one more thing we should know about you. Um, I guess... Uh, I'm starting my PhD in the fall. I think that's quite important that's in terms awesome. of, yeah. And you did, how many universities did you visit be, to decide where to go? Yeah, so I had six offers. So I visited five of the six. Um, and I don't think I'm supposed to say exactly where I'm going okay, just yet that's to fine. the public. But, uh, Can you say the one that you didn't visit? <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't vis- and why? Uh, I didn't visit Maryland because it was the same day as another visit. Right. Uh, and I'd never been to Michigan, which was the other visit I visited. And I thought, well... If there's the off chance that I'm going to be in Michigan and I've never been in the middle of the country, I, I should go and see what it's like, um, meet the people there, get a mm-hmm. feel for the environment. I thought that was very important. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, didn't visit Maryland. So what do you think? Was, was location one of the number one choices? No, I don't think so. So I think the biggest thing for me is student culture and advisor culture. So for me, it's all about the people. Um, I think in our world... Back in the days, perhaps, you had, like, lone geniuses who would publish papers alone. But today, it's very much a collaborative atmosphere. Um, And often, the sources of innovation and the way that we think about our field come from people outside our fields. Just general people who come up with creative and crazy ideas. Uh, And the publishing really needs 
people to talk to each other and interact and collaborate. Collaborate. Um, Challenge you on your ideas right. and, and go, you know, that wouldn't work, but here's something that might. Right, absolutely. Take a, maybe take a left turn instead right. of a right. Or, or say maybe, maybe, have you thought about that? That's really interesting to me. And you're saying like, oh, I've never even heard of that. And then you so. wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning going, I can put them both together. Yeah, <laughs> that's the dream. <laughs> but um, yeah, so feeling comfortable with the people around me. Um, and that was the biggest criteria. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Do you, because we have Big Bang Theory, mm-hmm. and <laughs> most of us don't know anything even close to that. Is that is that kind of a culture really real, or is it, do you think it's really just made up? Like, does it, does like it the, actually end up sitcom. being that? Yeah. Um, is that the culture that's really there as far as the, that the university level of where there's research and things going on? Does it seem realistic? The I, dynamics between the friends and things like that? Or so is that it could be. I think it depends highly on the friend group, but. I think some aspects of it, like the nerdy jokes yeah. and stuff like that, that's definitely present. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's very friend group dependent. Right. Uh, I, I would say, like, so my, my dad was a Caltech physicist, just like the characters oh. from okay, Big Bang. so I and, didn't know we were that close. Right. <laughs> and certainly uh, I was like, well, Dad, you don't seem like a Caltech physicist because you're not like Sheldon or Leonard. Yeah. And well, whatever they did, they brought you up to not, like, I would have never known that from seeing you. and Because like, I've seen you every day for quite, not every day, but, you know, right. pretty often. And I wouldn't have thought of you as anyone that comes from the Big Bang. You're very right. socialized. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you're extremely socialized for being so smart. Does that no. sound... <laughs> But do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because like, it, it's portrayed that the social skills aren't there if you've got to spend all your time in yeah. an institution. And I think we all know people who have been in universities for a long time and they are institutionalized because right, right. they haven't really gone outside to explore and do, do a year at Whistler or right. they never took that time off to see the world. Right. So I think it, it will set you apart, I think, as far as your exploration in the future is even. Yeah, it's funny that you mention that. I, so during one of my visits, um, so... You can think of computer science kind of into the theorists and the system builders. Yeah. That's one way of thinking yeah, about okay, it. Yeah, okay, I see that, yeah. Um, and my roommate in one of the visits was a systems guy. And uh, when I told him I was in theory, he was like, you're in theory? You don't seem like you're from theory. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a good way to compare it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I would have seen you in systems, too. Right. Yeah. And, and the stereotypes exist even in, in the academic community. Oh, that's too funny. That's too yeah. funny. Okay, what is work and what is play? So work for me is uh, research, um, and to some degree it's play as well, but really when I, when I do research, I'm trying to get some result, and I'm really focusing on problem solving, so I'll approach it from different standpoints, kind of um, taking some time off, repeating, repeatedly looking over the, the, my assumptions and all these things. Um, that's, that's really my work. Um, and then play, like I said, is hanging out with friends, going out, being active. Breaking uh, ribs. <laughs> breaking ribs, yeah, I broke my rib. <laughs> but yeah, that's all fun. Um, yeah, I think for me, yeah, that's where I can play. Oh, awesome. Um, is there something you want others to help you achieve that you, you know, if you want us to mm-hmm. like look into your future, what is something you think that we can help you with? Whether it's, you know, answering surveys or buying a certain book or yeah. who knows? I think one thing I'm really curious about uh, is how other people feel, like everybody feels in general, about um, ownership and privacy and all these concepts in the digital space. And um, like philosophically, we can always approach like, why do we need privacy? Well, it's, it's like related to individualism. Like if, if Big Brother was watching you, it'd be mm-hmm. like 1984 from, yeah. from that novel, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but what, what, like, what is it for every individual 
person? I, I think that's like a really important question that I'd love people to ask themselves. Mm -hmm. Like, um, do I feel a sense of ownership? Do I like if I don't feel worried? Why is it that I don't feel worried? Um, and if I am if I am worried, why am I worried? Um, mm -hmm. And I guess I'd love to have that kind of a dialogue. Well, I think it changes depending on... So, for example, when I was in university, I was one of the first people on Facebook. I was one of the first people on LinkedIn mm -hmm. doing all of that. But I had kids at home. Right. So I never posted my home address. I never... Mm -hmm. um, I do have a friend that had been stalked from California by someone on, online. So I was, I was overcautious. Like, he showed up at her house from California to Abbotsford, British Columbia, oh. and sat outside of her house because she'd made her life too public. And he felt he wanted to get to know her better. So I always had that little thing in my mind while my kids were at home mm -hmm. to have extreme privacy. Even though I was on social media, I had everything locked down private. Mm -hmm. um, and I was probably more aware because I was in the university atmosphere um, about what was going on and where things were going mm -hmm. and taking online classes. So there was just more discussion versus um, now I live this, like if you Google me, I can usually can find me on the first page by my first name, which is... That's pretty cool, but that's it's like that. There's no privacy. Um, I'm a public figure, I'm, and I'm okay with that. I don't really care. I don't have anyone at home to protect mm -hmm. at the moment. Anyway, mm -hmm. I have grandchildren that live in a different town. We don't, you know, it's it's very different. So I think the level of privacy you need changes depending on where you are in your life as well. Right. Yeah. So we can put a survey yeah. below wherever sometime for you. When, you, when you need it, let me know. We'll post a survey for you. Right. Um, if you could pick one book, I'm very curious about this, that okay. everyone should read, what would it be? So, as an American, I, I feel strongly about um, kind of unity in, in, in America. And I feel, at least especially in the last three, four years, it's been really hard um, to even have discussions. Um, people just... There's no sense of compromise. It's very um, polarized. Yeah. Well, um, no, and in, and and unlike Canada, where we don't opt to talk about politics as right. much. Like, I went to a friend's family birthday party in the states, and it was it was pure politics. Like, every right. but everyone was comfortable saying what side they were on, and mm -hmm. there was no. This was 10, 15 years ago, and it was everyone's very clear about right. their belief system. Whereas I don't think it would be the same now. Right. They'd and, be much more volatile yeah. of a discussion. So I, I guess like along the lines there, um, thinking about race, so I know the author of this book doesn't like to talk about race in terms of race, but his name is um, Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, and he's written books like, um, basically the book I'm, I'm inter uh, I really like is Between the World and Me, um, and basically it's, it's kind of like a letter, it's a pretty short book. Um, it's basically a really long letter to his son about growing up as an African-American uh, in America at his time and what it's like today. Right. Um, and he basically points out that, well, kind of the tensions we have today is, it's not a flaw of our system, but it's part of our history, like how our country was formed and all these right. things. And it's, it's like, well, um, we have to understand that. And basically, it's not just necessarily about color of our skin, but all these other features in our life that really changes the way we grow up mm -hmm. and the way that we see each other and interact with other people. Um, and I, I thought it was incredibly thoughtful, uh, really thought-provoking. And I, I think, like, if more people read the book in America, I think it really gives you a glimpse, at least for me, like, I, I think I grew up very privileged. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it was, it was like a window into the other side, a really honest window. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I find it very curious because my grandson is actually part Indonesian, and he's going to be looking at his dad and the culture that he came from because his grandma is, is Indonesian, and she incorporates a lot of culture into helping out with him. And at some point, he's going to be looking like, where did that come from? How did that blend in? So that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I always look at like, what role models are out there for him as you know, a, a mixed right. kid. And it's, it's a challenge sometimes yeah. to find the role model that you fit into, right? right? Whereas we need to worry about that too. So right. it's great to have books like this. Yeah. Cool. That, I'll, be, I'll be checking yeah. it out. <laughs> it's really funny. In the beginning, he definitely has a whole section on, he was looking for role models who mm-hmm. are African-American. Um, and that, that was like a, a huge, huge part of his mm-hmm. growing up. Yeah. Well, I have, a, I have a really good friend who's now quite well known, and he ha- he's he's Chinese Canadian, and he said he'd never had a role model growing up that was that wasn't like kung fu figure or a, you know like no there wasn't yeah. a businessman out there that was prominent that yeah. looked like he did and had you know that that he could fit himself into right right and then, and that really caught my eye that and he's a young guy he's only in his his early thirties. And I was like, wow, I, I didn't know we still had that, you know, because I mean, I am, a, I'm white. I'm as white as they get. I'm Swedish, Canadian, and Norwegian. So, you know, I'm totally under, get, understand. I never had to deal with any of that, right? But I've always been very aware of it being in university with a lot of, um, um, in, in university, I had very good friends who um, were indigenous. And so I, I found out about stories about the indigenous culture in Canada that I'd had, you know, it was never taught to us, mm. right? And the challenges there and how many generations it's going to take to heal the damage that was yeah. done by the Catholic Church, and it's genetically ingrained. Right. Right? So it's it's such a challenge, and to find role models that are that you can, I think we all learn faster when we have a role model, right? So we can we can make leaps that we might not make if we don't have those role models. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so which you, I mean, you're saying basically you didn't know you couldn't shouldn't get a PhD, and right. here you are getting one, right? right? So if you didn't know that that was just an easy option, would you do it, right? Right. And it's those role models that can really make a difference for kids. Absolutely. So, interesting. What's your favorite thing to do in Whistler? (laughs) (laughs) Well, definitely skiing. Um, I like, so I I like the Sea to Sky Trail. So uh, when I broke my rib three weeks ago, that's one thing I just like walking along it slowly and... It's beautiful. I mean, it's I call, just nice I call being it here. Tree bathing. Tree bathing. There's a Japanese <laughs> word for it, actually. It is actually a thing, but you're getting all those the energy and the ions, right. and it's very healing. Right. So you really feel in touch with, I guess, the surroundings. You see yeah. the mountains everywhere. It's it's lovely. Mm. And well, and the cedars, I think, are just they have this healing energy about them mm. that. I'm just learning about someone actually. She's like, oh, I knew you were coming over, so I put on this cedar oil. Um, that was grown underneath the northern lights and so it's got this amazing energy and I was just like wow you nailed it this is my happy place uh-huh. <laughs> so it was interesting because I've got specific spots on the Cedar Sky Trail oh. that I can get to and just go oh, uh. I just feel better <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what is a product that you are rarely without well obviously uh, probably my phone yes um, that's and a common theme yeah. we, uh, my water bottle oh. uh, I really for me um not drinking water will actually make me feel motion sick when I'm like dehydrated, and I when I get that feeling, it oh I feel. When like you do a lot sick. physically too, yeah. so I mean, and that yeah. what you phys- I guess physically and mentally you're very connected. Right. I mean, we all are, but maybe you're pushing things to this other level, right? right. So, probably affects you more. Um, what do you hope to do, ten or twenty years from now that you're doing now? Mm, I hope. I don't hope to do more cryptography as in like 10 to 20 years from now, uh, as in like, it's not that I don't like it, but um, 
it's like I, you never know what's out there. So I think for me, the biggest things are I hope I'm still physically active and like, I don't know. I hope you're still coming to Whistler to go ski. Yeah. Because I'll still be here. <laughs> I hope to come back. <laughs> um, and do you have a life hack for us? Oh, I, I have. Uh, so I went to this you conference. More than one. <laughs> it, it's like a class of life hacks. It's oh. called TAPS. And taps are called trigger action, um, trigger action, I don't remember what the P is, but essentially what it is is, uh, oh, trigger action patterns. Okay. And the idea is like, have you ever lost your, or forgotten your keys when you walked out the door? Yes. Or, or forgotten something? Yes. That's a simple example. What you can do is you could train yourself to remember by labeling, uh, designating a trigger uh, right. that's an action that will remind you to think of your keys. So, for example, if you wanted to remember your keys every time you left the, the house, you would use the touching of the doorknob or the door handle as your trigger action. Right. And what you do is you rehearse it. Like, you, you actually uh, practice it. So you, every time you touch the door handle, you think, key. Uh, and, and before you do it, you maybe like the first time you do it in the first day, You'll touch the door handle and say, think keys and do that 10 times. Right. And eventually it becomes a pattern. So can I teach this to the guys at the Whistler Corps who keep forgetting their gym tags? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's or the really girl nice. last night who forgot her keys. Yeah. <laughs> and you can adapt this to so many different things. Yeah. It, it's really lovely, actually. Um, and, and one thing I like doing personally is sometimes I'm kind of overwhelmed with thoughts or like I start <laughs> getting like I, I, distracted, for example. Like yeah. I'm not sure what I'm exactly doing, but I'm just doing things. Yeah. I'll look at my nails, right. and that's my trigger. And I think, oh, like, breathe, like, breathe. Like, just take, take a deep breath and take a moment to think about what you're doing. And it's just, like, that act of looking my nails. Yeah, and, and clarification. Yeah, and I, that's, like, my favorite one. Oh, that's but cool. I love trigger action patterns. <laughs> well, and, and it's funny because I was actually, I've been doing um, a book called The Artist's Way. So my degree is in the arts. I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts. And um, someone gave me as a gift, Kathy White, she's a local realtor. She gave me The Artist's Way, which is a book, and the journal. Uh -huh. And so every morning I've been getting up between five and seven and writing three pages. So you're getting your, your mind and your oh, thoughts wow. very focused. But the one I was writing on this morning was um, how if we aren't quieting those thoughts and getting into the present moment... Then we're, and, and just kind of feeling passionately about, like, if, you're, if you go to drink a cup of coffee, you know, like, just drink a cup of coffee. Don't worry about the 10 other things. Yeah. Because time will change. Time will become smoother and you will achieve flow. Right. You know, that thing that they say when a football player, um, there's a concept that a football player, when he goes to throw the ball, is actually so focused on what he's doing that he's warping time. Oh, I don't know well. if you've ever heard about that. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting because when we're doing so many things, we're slowing time down because we're... You know, we, we multitask across so many things, but we, when we're multitasking, we're not using our time well. And the concept that when we're fo so focused on the right thing and being in the moment, we're actually changing time, which is kind, oh, of, interesting. kind of interesting. So that idea of coming back to focus, meaning you're not just getting focused and doing things well, but you're, um, from what I've been taught, also means you have that ability to change how you're using your time yeah. and how maybe time actually works, but who are we to know that? That's right. a another doctor yeah. <laughs> absolutely so awesome yeah. i think we'll have to look up the a link to some more stuff on the taps because yeah. that's pretty cool thank you for coming and spending some time with us today oh thank you Thanks oh and holding the me. mic the whole time yeah. <laughs> um so if you want to uh, find out more um how would they find you are you on linkedin 
I am on LinkedIn. If you uh-huh. go to paulu.me, that's my personal website. Sweet. Um, so we can follow your studies, maybe? Yeah, probably. So I, I'd probably post my publications there. Mm-hmm. Um, I found um, it really cool. I really felt lucky that you sent me your, the paper that you wrote. Oh, um, you. I le- it, it really opened up a world for me that I hadn't just hadn't considered but knew was there. <laughs> so um, cool. I think you're going to change the world. So thanks for spending some time oh, with us thanks today. Thanks very much. Cool. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.